Previously on Cry in the Moon's Light. Searching for Milady, the carriage driver and several guards from Castle Parlemay arrive in the town of Mercel. More townsfolk have been brutally murdered by something. The survivors hide in the library, but Milady is not with them. The castle guards stay in Mercel to protect the people, while the carriage driver returns to the dark forest to continue the search for Milady. Welcome to A Cry in the Moon's Light. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Alan McGill. I'm the author who created this story, and I'll also be your narrator. And now, on with our show. Chapter 8, The Abandoned Church. Arca and the team were moving along at a fast pace, much faster than before. There was a trail of dust behind us. This prevented me from seeing anything coming up on the carriage. Most of the road in the forest I didn't recognize. I couldn't see much in the darkness the night before. My mind was racing on the morning trip coming here, so everything looked new. As we moved along, I noticed a break in the trees up ahead, to our left. It was something I hadn't seen before. As we got closer, I realized it was a road. Not a well-traveled road, but a road. I pulled the reins back and stalled the team right at the opening. There was a path that was covered by forest undergrowth. Ferns all around on both sides of the road. Although ferns ran across the opening, there was a distinct trail. A few of the ferns and weeds were trampled like something had just come through recently and that left a mark going back between a row of trees. I doubted it was Barkslow. He had several men with him. Their horses would have trampled most of the ferns. That impression would be easily recognizable. The Hessians and the townsfolk had even bigger numbers. They would have created a swath going through here. This was a single animal. It was large, and the signs were barely visible, but it was big enough to cause this. Maybe it was the stranger and my lady, and she was back wherever this trail led. The hour of the day was getting on, and this detour would make me late getting back to the castle. Plus, I needed to send help back to Marcel. But I had to investigate. If my lady was back this trail, it didn't look like anyone else had picked up on it. That would mean I was her only hope right now. The three guardsmen would just have to hold out with the townsfolk. They had weapons, so I figured they would be okay. The path was too narrow for the carriage. I didn't know what was up ahead, but if there were any sharp turns, we wouldn't make it through. As much as I didn't want to, I had to unhook Arca. Arca was the best horse on the team. He was the most loyal and strongest. I didn't have a saddle, so it would have to be bareback. I left the rest of the horses with the carriage. They would be fine, and I didn't plan to be gone long. I left the brake off so they could escape if attacked. I just needed to see where this path went, 
and then get back. I hopped up on Arca and pulled the reins, directing him down the trail. I didn't want to be on this trail all day, so I spurred him to move at a nice trot. I slung the extra musket over my back, grabbing the reins with one hand to carry the other musket at the ready. The trail was fairly straight. The ferns and forest undergrowth were definitely pressed down. It was a little easier to follow as I got further away. Somebody had tried to cover the marks in the trail closer to the road. I rode Arca a couple of miles until we came to a small hill. The path began to rise up over this mound. The mound was high enough that I couldn't see the other side. Before reaching the top, I slipped down off of Arca to walk up the trail. I thought it might be best not to ride into anything I couldn't see first. With Arca in tow, I walked up to the top. When I crested the hill, I could see a small inlet down the other side. At the bottom of the hill, the ground became flat. There was still plenty of dark forest to prevent you from seeing too far. Hidden amongst a thick pine grove was a small church. It was right off the path and barely visible, even in the daylight. It looked run down and abandoned. There was an opening in the trees on either side of the path leading to the church. It looked like there might have been an old village here. The pressed down trail went right to the church and circled to the right. I climbed back up on Arca and slowly guided him down the hill, locking him to keep the noise down. I pulled the musket slung around my back to the side and kept the musket I was carrying in the ready position. I might need both in a hurry. I could get off two shots quickly if I needed to. We reached the church a few minutes later and I pulled Arca to a stop. I dismounted slowly and tied his rein to a nearby tree. I didn't want him getting startled and taking off. My heart was pounding with fear. It was quiet, but I could still hear a few birds chirping in the trees. While I was scared, it wasn't the same type of fear I had experienced when the wolves were near. The church was small with white chip paint on the sides. It had a high steeple and tall stained glass windows. The high front doors were closed and there was debris on the front stoop. It looked empty, but that didn't mean someone or something wasn't waiting inside to ambush me. The front doors seemed too obvious, so I walked around the side following the trail. There was an entrance door to a small room attached to the rear of the church. This door was slightly ajar. It looked dark inside. My heart was making all kinds of noises. I walked up and pushed the door with the barrel of my musket. The door swung inward and I stepped forward to take a peek inside. It looked empty, so I took a cautious step and felt the floor give a little. One of those annoying little creaks from the wood rang out that lets everyone know somebody is there. My eyes rolled back and I shook my head in disbelief. I was trying to be quiet and so far, I had managed to make two loud noises upon entering. The room was in some disarray. A bed was at the far end next to the fireplace. There were fresh ashes in the pit. A few chairs and some dinnerware were strewn throughout the room. 
There were also some busted up pieces of wood and glassware on the floor. It looked as if there was a fight here. I moved to my right and peeked through another door that led to the sanctuary. As I stepped in, I could see I was alone and I relaxed a bit. My heart rate returned to normal, which alleviated the pounding in my ears. I was standing in the back of the church. There was an altar just in front of me. The numerous pews were undisturbed. As I turned to go back outside, I heard a faint voice. It was a whisper and scared me out to death. I instantly brought the musket up to the ready and my eyes became focused. Seth, is that you? A woman's voice whispered. I knew the sound was coming from the room, but where? It was definitely a female voice, but very faint. I waited a few seconds without moving. Maybe I imagined it. Again. Seth, is that you? Now I was sure I heard it, but this time I recognized the voice. Mademoiselle, I called out. A loud creak emanated from the floor beside me. The sound was so abrupt and without warning I nearly jumped out of my skin. There was a door in the floor that had been lifted. It was her. She had pushed up the door to see. I set my muskets down and quickly grabbed the door, pulling it off of her. She looked up at me and climbed up the ladder into the room. Instinctively, I reached out and hugged her. Tears streaming down my cheek as I gained my composure and stepped back. Forgive me, mademoiselle, I said, wiping the tears from my eyes. She sighed relief and put a hand on my shoulder. It's so good to see you, she said as she hugged me. She pulled back and walked to the church doors. Cautiously looking outside, she scanned the forest as if looking for someone. It must have been this Seth she called out to. Was he the stranger, I wondered? I picked up the muskets and walked past her out into the forest, stating, We must get going, my lady. There isn't much time, and we need to get back to the carriage as quickly as we can if we are to make Parlamay Castle by nightfall. She followed right behind me as we both rushed to Arca. I mounted first and she followed. Arca turned and carried us up over the hill as swift as I had ever seen him. Within no time, we were back at the carriage. My lady hopped off and got inside while I got Arca back in his lead position. As I went to get back into the driver's seat, my lady slid the carriage window open and spoke. We're not going to Parlamay Castle. I looked at her with wide eyes. We won't make it anywhere else before nightfall, mademoiselle. We need to go back to the beach at the sea, she ordered. Why? I asked. Trust me, was all she would say. Reluctantly, I directed the team forward. My lady was in a hurry, and so was I. I wanted to get there before nightfall. As we raced through the forest, my mind was everywhere. So much so that I could barely focus on anything. 
It wasn't long before we came to the edge of the forest onto the foothills of Castle Parlemay. Instead of following the road north to the castle, I turned east at the crossroads as she asked. This would take us back to the sea. The sun was beginning to set behind us. I turned to look back at the castle. The soft light of the evening made it look quiet. The road was smoother in the valley, allowing us to go a little faster. And the tiny breeze behind us also seemed to push us faster. The forest ahead looked darker and it came up quick. We finally reached the opening in the trees and crossed over from light to dark. It was pitch black now. The sun had disappeared behind us and the moon was making its rise. The light from the moon was making its way through some places in the forest like it had before. This was as long a section of the forest as in the beginning of our journey. It would be a while as we made our way through. The team had been running a long time and needed a break. I really pushed them through the valley so we could cross without anybody noticing. I slowed them down from a gallop to a trot, keeping a good steady pace through this section. The road was smooth, which made it easier on the carriage. There wasn't much wind in here as the trees were thick. All of this made things a lot easier. After traveling for a couple of hours, we were about halfway to the sea. There was another freshwater creek that ran across the road. Now the horses were tired from the hurried pace and needed a drink. Hopping down, I hustled to the front and made sure Arca and Killian were in position to drink. When they were finished, I pulled them ahead so the second set of horses could drink. My lady got out of the coach and looked around cautiously. I just need to give them a breather, my lady, I said. It's okay. He will find us, she replied. Who will find us, I asked. What happened, my lady, if you don't mind my asking? I searched all over for you. Standing in the middle of a dark forest, my lady took a deep breath and looked around. She peeked up at the moon through the treetops. Looking back at me with some reluctance, she began to tell her account. His name is Seth, she started. The masked rider. I knew him as a child. William, Seth and I grew up together in this valley. We used to play together as children. But I have not seen him since I left this land many years ago, she said. She took a deep breath and continued. When the wolves attacked us the other night, it was Seth who saved us. He was the masked rider. After he drove them off, it was a chance to escape. Seth had bandaged her wounds as best he could at the beach. The wounds were deep and kept bleeding. And the head injury left her dazed. When his bullets did not kill the black wolf, he knew he had to get her out of there fast. That was when he decided to pick her up, get on his horse, and ride out. The buckskin horse ran all the way to the church where I found her. Seth carried her into the back and laid her on a bed there. Her head injury and other cuts put her into a fever. He covered her with blankets, gathered wood, and started a fire to keep her warm. Once they were safe in the church, 
He spent more time cleaning the wounds on her leg and arm. Seth had learned the art of healing. He boiled some water and stitched her up with some of his horse's hair. He used some type of herbal ointment on the wounds to speed up the healing. Between the pain and fever, she passed out. She wasn't sure how long she was asleep, but when she awoke, it was still dark. As her eyes adjusted to the dim light from the fire, she noticed the door to the sanctuary was open. She sat up and could see Seth sitting on one of the pews in front of the large cross behind the altar. He saw her awaken and walked back to her. You should save your strength, mademoiselle, he said. She laid back down and looked up at him. He was sitting on the side of the bed now and began wiping her brow with some cool water. She could barely speak, but managed to ask. Where am I? You're safe. They don't know where you are now, Seth replied. Who? she asked. The pack, he replied. She started to remember. Images of the attack at the beach worked their way into her memory. If it weren't for him, she would have been killed. She looked up at him and he smiled. He squeezed a bloody cloth in a nearby basin. Dipping the rag in clean water, he wiped her face again. She watched him intently as he took care of her. The fire put a soft glow over the entire room. She drifted back to sleep. She awoke to find Seth standing at the window, staring at the moon. You saved me. Just like you did all those years ago, she said. He looked over at her with soft eyes. He said nothing. A small smile came across his face as he turned to look back out at the moon. It is you, isn't it? I thought you had died all those years ago, she said. His eyes dropped to the floor as he remembered. He looked back up at her and nodded slightly. He spoke as he walked back over to her. You should not have come through this country, milady. He pulled up a seat next to the bed and sat to look at her. My grandmother is ill. I was on my way to Trevor Doe. You remember her, don't you? She asked. He nodded that he did before he spoke again. You should have taken the road to the north and not come through the forest. Is my driver... Is my driver dead? She asked. The driver's fine. Very brave. Most of them would have run off. That one stayed and tried to protect you. Proves being noble is not about who your parents are or what your bloodline is, he replied. You have been alive all this time. Why didn't you come back to me? 
Why did you stay away? What happened to you? I have so many questions, she said. Seth turned away and looked back at the fire. There was great pain in his eyes. Memories flooded into his mind. Painful memories. What he was about to tell her, he had not told anyone before. Only a few people knew what happened to him. He never wanted to burden anyone with his story. He moved closer to her and took her by the hand. Her eyes filled with tears as her heart began to beat faster and faster. Her breath became shallow. He took a deep breath before he spoke. You were riding alone that day, the day the black wolf attacked you. Do you remember? He asked. She nodded. Yes. Knocked me off my horse. I remember. It was a beautiful day. Sun was out. The birds were singing. I was supposed to help my grandmother with some chores. Harvest was right around the corner. She told me to take the old mare out for a ride. That it would do the horse some good. I remember you were working in the fields. I rode up to the castle to find William, but he wasn't around. After that, I rode out through the valley to see how long you were going to be. The coldness of autumn was in the air, but it was still warm out. I was passing a small mound of tall grass when the black wolf jumped me. Force knocked me off my horse and the old mare galloped away in a panic. His claws raked across my shoulder and up my neck. Blood squirted out and my collarbone was broken. I screamed out for help as he was circling me. The black wolf jumped again and knocked me to the ground. This time he pinned my arms down with his giant paws. I squirmed and tried to get free, but he was too strong. Thought he was going to kill me. Out of nowhere, you ran in and stabbed him with your pitchfork, knocking him off me. I watched as you fought him, trying to keep your distance with that pitchfork, but he was too much for you. I watched in horror as you were mauled by him. Your body went limp. I thought he killed you as he dragged you through the weeds. That was the last time I saw you. I thought you were dead, she finished. Seth responded slowly. In some ways, I was. In all ways that matter, he had killed me. I was tying some straw bales together in the field when I heard you scream. You were yelling for help, so I ran to you as fast as I could. I saw him pinning you to the ground. There was a giant bloody gash across your neck. Looked like he was about to kill you when I charged. I thrust the pitchfork into his side as hard as I could. His hide was too thick and he was too powerful. Did knock him off you though. But my assault didn't hit the right place or go deep enough. I tried to use the pitchfork to keep him off me, but he swatted it away as he attacked me. 
The force of his jaws clamping down on my shoulder crushed my bones. His attack was so fast and vicious that I lost consciousness. Next thing I remember, he was dragging me off through the weeds. I kept falling in and out of consciousness as he pulled me into the forest. I'd lost so much blood. I prayed for a quick death because I didn't have any strength to fight him. And then, he suddenly let go of me. He had been shot. Two travelers were hunting in the woods that day, father and son looking for red deer, when they saw him dragging my lifeless body into the woods. It was the young boy who fired first. As his musket ball hit the wolf, his father fired a second shot, narrowly missing. They reloaded, preparing to fire again. But the black wolf ran off, he said. She looked away from Seth for a moment, as she began to remember more of the black wolf's attack. Looking back at him, she said cautiously, I remember being scared to die. Getting back on the mare, the old horse took me up to the castle. People rushed at me from everywhere. They were shocked at the sight of my injuries. The doctor came and bandaged my wounds as I told them what happened. When Lord Parlamay heard, he ordered the doc to take me into the castle. Then he left with some of his men to look for you. Hours later, they returned. All they found was blood. There was no sign of you. We had all given up hope. How are you here now? How did you survive? She asked. Seth looked back out the window at the moon. What he was about to tell her was something so strange. It had to be true. Thank you for joining me on this episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. Original music by Joseph McDade. You can support the show by making a donation to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Alan McGill. Our creative spotlight is author Elizabeth Holland. Elizabeth is a romance writer and lover of all things that bring her an escape from everyday life. Her novel, The Vintage Bookshop of Memories, is her favorite place to escape to. The village of Ivy Hatch is filled with romance, mystery, vintage fashion, and a beautiful bookshop. On our next episode, in the next chapter, Milady continues to reveal what happened to Seth, how he was saved by a group of people known as the Travelers, how their magic saved him, and why his arms and chest are covered with tattoos. We also learn the legend of the wolf and how werewolves first came to be. Who are the travelers? What is the legend of the wolf? Find out next time in Chapter 9, The Travelers. I hope you join me next time for another exciting episode of A Cry in the Moon's Light. This podcast is the creation of Alan McGill. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.